Our Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we look to your word. Help us to have that in mind, that, that death on that cross in mind as we look to your word. Help us to hear what it has to say. God, I ask that your grace would be upon us today, that you would bless us, Lord, with your presence. Lord, it's worth seeking to remember you. Lord, help that remembrance come to mind, not just today, but throughout the week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. The very first time I preached, I think it was in 1992. I could probably ask Mrs. Doolin. She probably has it written down in the margin of her Bible. Um, I preached out of Ezekiel 33. And she's going to look to see if it's written down there. Um, Ezekiel 33 tells about how God called Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet. tells about how God called Ezekiel uh, to be a watchman over the house of Israel. You guys know what a watchman is? We don't really have watchmen anymore, but a watchman is a, a guy that would, they would have walled cities, and the watchman would go up on the walls, and he would kind of keep a lookout for things. And God tells Ezekiel, say, I made you the watchman of the house of Israel. He then tells Ezekiel exactly what that means by demonstrating it by talking about an actual watchman. He says, if, 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 you're a, if you were a watchman, if you saw the enemy right, coming off in the distance, can you imagine the watchman up there? Sees the enemy coming. Because if you see the enemy coming and you, and you warn the people, you blow the trumpet and you warn the people, right? Well, if they hear that warning, but they don't take heed of it, they just, ah, you know, crazy watchman up there, they don't take heed of it. God specifically tells Ezekiel, he says, well, their blood's on their own hands then. I mean, you did what you were supposed to do as a watchman. That's, that's all on them. But if they hear the, the trumpet blow and they take warning, well, that, that's how it's supposed to work. That's what's supposed to happen. But he says, now, but if you see the enemy and don't blow the trumpet, well, that's a pretty serious thing, isn't it? Man, the, the people are sleeping in bed at night trusting that you're the guy up there keeping a watch for the enemy. If the enemy's coming, we've got to have somebody warn us. He says, if, if, if you're up there and you see the enemy coming, you imagine the, what kind of watchman this might be. Sees the enemy coming, goes, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm going. You know, whew, I'm getting out of here before everybody. I know if I blow the trumpet, there's going to be a mad rush. I might get stuck up here. The general, he's going to make me fight. Probably I don't want to do that. Hey, I'm, I'm gone. I, this is, that's a big army coming. I'm, uh, we're not going to make it. I can tell already. <laughs> gone. Oh, the, God tells the easy ego. He says, a watchman like that. Well, the people would still die. God specifically says the people would still die in their own sin. He says, but their blood I would require at the watchman's hands. And then God says something amazing to Ezekiel. He says this. He says, so you, this is Ezekiel 33, 7. He says, so you, son of man. So he gave the illustration to illustrate what he wanted of Ezekiel. He says, so you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. This is crazy. Listen to what he says. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. So in this scenario, the illustration, the enemy that's coming, well, and the, the reality, it's not that it's an enemy, but the reality is God's given Ezekiel a word. Hey, God's coming, and you need to warn the people. He goes on to tell Ezekiel, if, if, you, if you share this word that I give you and warn them about me, but you don't go and you don't go and share, he says, I'll require the, their blood. It's on your hands. When I shared this story, um, or I, when I shared this passage, and this was, I think, 92, uh, thereabouts, um, I shared a story. My, uh, some of my friends of mine, we used to... Uh, we like to go to big cities when I first went to college. And so we went to Washington, D.C. once, and I got in huge trouble for that. I think, yeah, I wasn't supposed to. I didn't even ask if I could go. We just thought, well, let's drive to Washington, D.C. with my dad's car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a good, good choice. Um, we went to Chicago one time. Uh, but once we went to Indianapolis, which wasn't a big deal for me. I'd seen Indianapolis, but some of the guys I was with were from Colorado and Maine and some different places. So they, hey, let's go to India. All right, let's go. 
While I was there, I, I met a, uh, we, we, we were walking through the downtown park as it got late, and I met a, we met a homeless man. He came up and asked us a question where something was at, and we didn't know where it was. We weren't from the area, so I'm like, ah, you know, I'm not really for sure. And, but for some reason, this guy started to un, unload on us. This is what's been going on. This is what I've done in my life. I mean, he, it, and I felt a genuine sincerity there. The things he was telling us were things he'd really done. He'd been to drywaller most of his life and had even done some drywall in the Sears Tower, he was telling us. And all the time as he's going along, he kept saying things that I knew the answer to. What this guy needed more than anything else, more than the place that he was looking for, I knew it in the depths of my heart. I knew this guy needs Jesus. He needs Jesus. I didn't say anything to him. Not, not a word. To say one, I don't, I don't remember the guy's name. That's what the man with him, I don't know what his name was. And now I look back on that. That was 20 years ago. Most likely this guy isn't still, he was, he was uh, older at the time and probably not in good, good health. And there's not good statistics on people that are homeless. It's, it's not a healthy way to live. I didn't say a word. What's really frightening for me is that as I think about this, as the years passed, and I shared this 20 years ago, preached about this, so it happened before that. As I share this with you now, I can't say right now that I've done a whole lot better in sharing the gospel when I knew that was the answer. How about you? You ever have moments like that where you feel like the door is opened up and you could have shared the gospel and you didn't? And you hear a passage like Ezekiel 33 and the, the weight of it sits heavy upon you. The ultimate needs of what people may have. What keeps you from doing it? We want to share? This, this is what this is where I get stuck. This is where this is when I this is why I don't. Am I willing to go out on a limb there and say this is this is what stops me? Yeah. Fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think a lot of nervousness ties into that. Like, oh, I'm gonna. What are they gonna think? They're gonna think I'm some nutcracker. Um. Anybody feel unprepared ever? Like, I'd like to say something, but I think, I just don't know, what, what if they ask me this, or what if they say this? Anybody else, what, anybody else have something you say, this, this is what holds me back, or has held me back? Maybe it does anymore. How to start? Yeah, where, where, how do I jump into this conversation and bring this about? You're thinking it in your head? I need to, I need to say this. Anybody else? What, what, what maybe has stopped you before? Caused you, caused you to hesitate? Mm. Oh, yeah. You're going to start talking and you end up sounding like, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, in a rush. Got to be somewhere. Anybody else? What stopped you maybe in the past? <clears throat> maybe it's possible that you've given up trying. Get to place where I don't even, I don't even really try. Like when you're asking me what stops me, I, I can't even answer because I'm not even trying to do it. I'm not even trying to present these things. It's quite possible that many of us would say, you know, I, I, I can't rem- I couldn't tell you the last time I did. I don't remember it. It's been too long. You've stopped trying. Maybe you just don't even think about it. Or I'm not good at it. I'm not gifted. For me, one of the big blocks that I've faced in the last 20 years, one of the biggest stumbling blocks I had was it was the whole method 
there was just had left a bad taste in my mouth. Some, how some people had done it. Yeah. Some people was a little too in your face, too. It felt a little uh, judgmental, and so I began to adopt a a, a different method. Um, Stuck. There we go. Um, anybody heard this phrase before? This is attributed to a guy named Saint Francis of Assisi. I enjoy saying the la- the name of his town, Assisi. Uh, I can't say it without laughing. Uh, but he's attributed with this this statement: preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. There's a couple problems with this quote. You, know, you see what it means, though? I mean, you got to live the gospel. That's kind of how the project is. You, li- you live it, and that's, that's enough. I mean, if you never get around to saying that, as long as you've lived it, that's good. There are a couple problems with this quote. Number one, there is absolutely no historical evidence that St. Francis ever said this. None. In fact, he probably didn't say it. He was known as being a preacher of the word. Now, he very much, with the, he started what is known as the Franciscan order. He was very much about making whatever words you say match, that your deeds should match your words. Don't be a hypocrite. He was really big on that, really pushed that a lot. If you're going to say it, you better do it. But as far as actually saying, hey, preach always, if, if necessary, use words, he, I highly doubt he would have said that. One biographer wrote about him. He said, he said uh, St. Francis clearly spent a great deal of time using his words when he preached. Sometimes preaching in up to five villages a day, often outdoors, in the country, he would, he would often um, stand on a bale of straw to preach, or a, a granary doorway, get up and preach. Um, when he was in town, he would climb up on a box or up the steps of a public building and preach the gospel. And he preached to any who would gather and hear this strange but fiery little preacher from a sissy. He's a little guy. He was sometimes so animated, some people have written about him, sometimes he was so animated in his preaching that it looked like he was dancing. His feet would get going and he would be up there dancing. This was not a guy that would have hid that idea. Frankly, uh, this man, Dwayne Lifton, was, who's the president of Wheaton College, says this, it's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal. And preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. Or we could go to Paul the Apostle who put it this way. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they haven't, what, heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And in this case, preacher not meaning just the guy that gets up in front on Sunday, but it's anyone that's willing to proclaim the message. This is the message. There's something inherently verbal about the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he did. It's not just about being a good person. There's something more there. And so we have to keep this in mind. And so, honestly, God's done a huge work in my own life. Um, I, I can't tell you how much I, I've enjoyed coming here to be the pastor. But I have to tell you right now, the best benefits I've experienced as being up here is what God's done in my own life. Absolutely. Uh, frankly, in this, in this category, um, sharing the word, sharing the gospel, it's, you know, I gotta, everybody knows I'm a pastor. Everybody expects me to say something. It makes it so much easier. I get a, you know, kind of a, an easy out. I, I've had people that have come to me I probably wouldn't have said anything to them. They want to hear something about it. You're a pastor, right? Okay, yeah. And it's it's forced me to be to to, to think that. And for so long, I've thought, you know, I know I need to be. And for twenty years, I've been thinking, I know I need to be better. At the, I know that, you know, and just kind of letting opportunities. And sometimes I pray, Lord, give me an opportunity today. But then at the end of the day, I go, I know I had like three opportunities. I didn't say nothing. But God has brought me into a situation where He's working on me, saying, Matt, you've been saying this for twenty years. It's time to get busy. Right? Time to get busy on the mission that God has for me. What does God want of me? Um, but I want to take a look today uh, at the book of Ephesians, because that's what we've been studying. 
And I want to take a look at it from the perspective of I, I, I'm kind of doing a dual thing. This is what I'm in the process of learning myself. And, I, I, and some of it I, I'm getting. I'm a slow learner, so God's got to really work on me. And I want to share with you some things to really bring about maybe a change. So if you're, you're like me and you're saying, I know I need to do better. I know that this is important. I know that this is of prime importance to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. Lord, help me to do that. I want to show you some things from Paul that I believe can help us with this exact issue. Let's take a look at the passage for today. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. Paul writes, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, in Ephesians, what we've been talking about, just to give you a reminder of where we've been, Paul's been talking about what it really means to be a Christian, that it's not just about stopping bad stuff, it's about putting off, but it's also about putting on. Then he gives some illustrations of how you were to put off and put on and be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And so he, he started talking about not lying, right? Well, that's a given. But also what? Putting on, speaking the truth, that the words that come out of your mouth are truthful. He talks about not being sinfully angry or angry for sinful reasons. Instead, using provocation, using being provoked for something good and positive. Reaching out. Showing kindness and compassion and forgiveness, the characteristics of God. He talked about, we talked about last week, not being a thief, once again. Now, we know that part. Christians don't steal stuff, they're not supposed to. But not just not stealing, but starting to work for, for God's purposes. There's things that God, we don't just work for us, there's things that God wants us to do, and we're working for Him ultimately. And we talked about that. But here, Paul has come back again. To speech. Twice in one little section he talks about what kind of words come out of your mouth. So notice this first thing he said, and I'm going to put it this way. Number one, our speech should not be corrupt. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now corrupt, corrupt means unwholesome, putrid. This word that we see corrupt, unwholesome, putrid, rotten. Okay? Think this. You get a picture in your head. One way you can think about it. You ever go to look in your refrigerator? And back in the back, you see a Tupperware. You go, man, what was that? I must have saved that for something. What is that? And you're like, oh, I bet that was that one thing. And you go to pull it out, and you're like, oh. And you're actually getting kind of hungry thinking about what it was. Oh, it's lasagna. I remember that. That was a good lasagna. And you open it up, and it's green. <laughs> Come on, admit it. Who's had that happen? Surprise, surprise, in the back of the refrigerator, putrid green lasagna, okay? We've all had it happen. Okay, maybe there's some of you that haven't. It's happened to me more than I'd like to care to admit. And and the the aroma, right? I hate it when it happens to a thing in cottage cheese. It's like, I know that cottage cheese isn't old, but something got in there, and you open it up, and it's it's fluffy. (laughs) That's what you think when you think putrid. And see, notice there's that corrupting aspect because it's, it's destroying the good that was there. Do you see that? It's messing up the good that was there. There was That cottage cheese was good, but it's being corrupted. Now it's putrid. That's the concept with uh, this word corrupt. Uh, it, one way, there's two ways we can take this with, when we think about speech. The first way is, is a pretty, pretty easy one. Uh, this kind of covers the whole uh, broad range of any kind, any kind of vulgar talk, dirty jokes, uh, foul language. I don't think that's probably a problem with most of us in here. Maybe when you get around your work buddies, it tends to change. Oh, you know, you let some things slip, you let some things slide. Maybe around other non-church cars, like there's things that you would never say at church, but yeah, you get around these people, like, you know, uh, the little. It's like the the cartoons. It's got puts the exclamation point in the star and the pound. You know, it, that's what happens when you get somewhere else. Um. This is corrupt in the sense that it points people away from the righteousness and the holiness of God when you talk that way. We're talking about sharing the gospel. You're not pointing anybody towards God when you begin to talk like that. You're not. You're turning people away from that righteousness of God. 
Secondly, there's another aspect of this corruptness that can happen when, when we do things like complaining. When you, when you eat complain, I, I've been totally fine at work, feeling great. I'm happy, work's okay, it's good, in comes negative Nelly, you know, starts griping. Oh, this the boss did this, this, what, oh, don't, right? And I was having a wonderful day, but then I was like, yeah, man, that stinks. They can't do that to us. Anybody ever had that happen? We're like that cottage cheese. We were doing pretty good, but then something snuck in, and by the end of the day, we're like that moldy cottage cheese. We've been corrupted. See what language can do that even to us? And and it works the other way. Corrupt language can be things like complaining or slandering somebody, talking about somebody behind the back. Oh, there's such a this or there's such a that, and just talking down about that person. And you corrupt that that person in their that person's mind. They may have been fine with that person until they're done listening to you. Now they're thinking, yeah, they're a jerk. I don't like them at all. I didn't even know that when I woke up this morning, but now I do. I'm glad that you know helped me. Stinking jerk. And you see the person the next time, you're like, oh, don't like you at all. What happened? This corruption in language. That's what we need to do. A little suggestion before I move any further. Notice Paul isn't saying we need to be the speech police either. Uh, there's so often that uh, uh, when I, uh, most of the jobs I've had uh, have not been in Christian environments. And, and uh, <clears throat> eventually somebody will figure out I'm a Christian. And they go, and then they'll say something, you know, and, and Ooh, I'm sorry, you know, sorry about that, really, probably. You know, I, I, and I, I, don't, I say, don't worry about me. I've heard that before. <laughs> probably said that before, right? Don't worry about it. You know, you know what you need to be worried about is who else is listening? What are you talking about? I mean, me, I get over it. I've heard it. But there's somebody else that might care. You know, God cares about how we talk. Just for your thoughts. <laughs> and he's everywhere. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you don't have to worry about just being around me. I'm not everywhere. You know, we don't need to go into a work environment and say, I'd really appreciate it if you wouldn't talk like, it's not necessary. That's between them and God. What we need to do to make sure is that our speech is not corrupt, not tearing down, not destroying type of speech. Let me call this the, the first level of gospel sharing. This is just the first level of it. Okay? And now let me put it this way. Not pointing people away from Jesus. I mean, if you want to share the gospel and you want to be the kind of person that can share the gospel, the very first step that you need to take is making sure that your speech is not pointing people away from Jesus. And when you're using foul language or corrupt speech that tears things down, you're not pointing anybody towards God. You're pointing them the opposite way. So we need to start by saying, I'm I'm not going to point anybody away from Jesus anymore. Can we do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every word, let no corrupt. And it's interesting because uh, it, that word that said talk, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. The, in, the, in the original Greek, that's the word uh, logos, which means word. Literally what Paul's saying is there shouldn't be one single solitary word that comes out of your mouth that's corrupt. Not one. Imagine if we as a church began to do that. I'm not going to say one thing that's corrupt. Putrid. Get a mental image of moldy lasagna in your head when you start talking like that. It's putrid. It's gross. Number two, our speech should be good, needful, edifying, and properly timed. Notice Paul says, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Different versions put this part of the passage different ways. Uh, The NIV says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Uh, The King James says, but that which is good to the use of edifying. The New American Standard says, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. And let me explain what these things mean. There's several words that are being used in there that different translations put different ways. The first one is this concept of good. All of our speech needs to be good, genuinely, inherently good, ultimately good. Good things need to come out of us and out of our mouths. 
We need to pour forth good speech, beneficial, inherently, ultimately beneficial and good. Next, needful. Some versions use the word useful, but it has the idea of filling a need. Does this person need to hear this? Is this a necessity? Is this important that they know this? The third one here is the real hurdle is edifying. You guys know what edifying means? Building up. Builds up. Right? Not tearing down, so we're getting rid of the corrupt. But Paul's not satisfied with us just not saying bad words. He says, not only we're not speaking in a corrupt way, but our speech should be the type of speech that, that builds someone up. Right? Lifts them up. Our words should have that effect on someone. Not just simply saying positive things, but frankly, that's a great place to start. That is a great place to start. Speaking positive things to someone. I've got a student at school right now that, that when I see him, he, and I have different things I do with different kids, but this one kid, he, he's always walking in the hall just... And so every time I see him now, I stop like this, and I go, his name is Jake. I go, is, is that Jake? The one? The only Jake? And it's so exciting because he'll, he could be, I mean, he could just, and he sees me doing that. And he's smiling and he's like, Mr. Harless, you're a nut. <laughs> you know, and I walk past like, oh, I can't believe I got to see Jake, you know. I walk away from it. He's like, he just, he just, you know. Starting with that kind of talk, that kind of, you know, speech with someone, building them up. But also properly timed. Now, this has more to do with the, the whole tense of this passage, uh, how it's all put together. Uh, one commentary, the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary, I just loved what they said. I, I, I just had to borrow their words. He, they said, even words good in themselves must be introduced seasonably, lest by your fault they prove injurious instead of useful. Do you see what he's saying? I mean, there's, there's words that in and of themselves they might be really good in this situation, but in this situation, man, that could be painful to hear. Right? There's a timing aspect. He goes on to say, not vague generalities. Not just vague generalities. Jerry and I were talking about how, that, how, how we, sometimes we can have pat answers for things. You just need to do this. You just need to do this. You just, right? But not vague generalities, which would suit a thousand other cases equally well and probably equally ill. Our words should be as nails fastened in a sure place, words suiting the present time and the present person being for the edifying of that occasion, this occasion right now. Solomon puts it this way. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. You ever had something like that happen to you? I mean, it was the right thing at the right time that person said it, and you're like, that's good. I'm so glad they said it. I mean, you just walked away. You felt like this tall before, and you walk, feel like you're walking on cloud nine after they said that. A word just in time and just at the right time. A word just the right thing to say at the right moment. A parent that's lost a child isn't, isn't always the best to say, well, they're in heaven now. Sometimes it's good to say, God understands sorrow. He gets it. Jesus was a man of sorrows. It says that he's taken his sorrow upon him, our sorrows upon himself. He understands. He knows. Sometimes it's best to shut up and not say anything at all. And just come over and say, you know, man, I love you. I'm praying for you. You know, the thing is, to speak well, and I should have put this up on this big screen, to speak well, you must listen well. I mean, to really speak well, the right word, seasonably done, to really do what Paul's saying here, you must be a listener. You must be listening what's going on in this person's life. What do they need to hear? What's needful? What's building up? What fits this occasion? This requires us to, to stop thinking about ourselves when we walk into a conversation and be thinking about what's going on in this person's life. It's amazing the things that people are going through that you have no idea until you really start listening and begin to understand. Oh, man. That's going on? I had no idea. In a parallel passage to uh, 
um, Paul's uh, passage in Ephesians, he says this in Colossians 4, 6. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love that seasoned with salt part. Is salt a preservative? That's how they would have viewed salt. It was a preservative. It would enhance good, bring good, keep it good. Right? So that's what salt does. It keeps things good for longer. It preserves things. But also salt is a seasoning. It makes it better. Right? There's, there's flavors that you wouldn't have known without a little bit of salt. That, ooh, it enhances it. Right? Ask my dad. He puts salt on everything. He probably put salt on cake if we let him. Uh, salt is a seasoning. It's preservative. It's a seasoning. It, it makes things better. It enhances them. Our words should be like that as we talk to people. Our, is our words like salt in their life, bringing about good, preserving them for another day? Is it, is it enhancing good things in them, bringing out the best? I want to call this the second level of gospel sharing. Not just not pointing them away from Jesus, but now taking this next step of pointing them toward Jesus, the ultimate good of the universe. Ultimate good things. Our words are actually maybe turning the... Many of us have stopped the corrupt. But we need to take it that next step in gospel of pointing them in this direction. Of actually pointing them to Christ. Pointing them to those kinds of good things. I think general encouragement can fall into this category. Saying to somebody, great job! You know, good job, you did a great job. You can, you can bless so many people by saying things like... I am so glad you're here. Or like with that kid, the one and only. There he is. He's building up. I'm glad to see you. I, there's not a person in this room that I'm not glad to see today. I can, I can say it with absolute honesty, and I'm standing up here I'm before God as my witness. I can say there's not a person. I look out, there's not a single one of you in this room that I, I, I haven't genuinely in my heart thought this morning. When I saw your face, I didn't think, so glad to see this person. Even though you I haven't seen before, I may have heard your name. Ooh, I'm so glad to meet you. I, and I am. And saying that can be hugely beneficial to a person. Even me. I, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you, I, 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 w- I wish I was like a duck where the water rolls off the back. Psh, man, you say anything, psh, doesn't bother me at all. But I'm not. You have no idea how far it goes. If you walk into me afterwards and you go, you know, even if there's one thing I said that was good and the rest of it was rubbish, you know, that, that was good. Oh, man, I'm, really? That's good? Oh, good. It just builds me up so much. I get so excited. I mean, it just lifts my spirits. It, it makes me think you're listening. And they're with me. We're in this together. It does all kinds of beneficial things. But we can go a little bit of a step further in this pointing them towards Jesus. Let me give you a few more suggestions. I think we can speak positively about marriage. Right? I mean, there's a lot of us might line up and say, oh, marriage in this country is going down the tube. There's this problem here and this problem here. But we need to speak positively about it. I tried to do that a lot at school. There's a lot of kids that they just think marriage is pointless. It ends in disaster anyway, right? I try to say as often as I can, what? I love being married. I think it's awesome. I I hope I can stay with my wife for the rest of my life. Well, what if she does? I don't care. Marriage is good. God made marriage. I'll say that every once in a while at that public school. God made marriage. I think it's a great thing. It's wonderful. We've got to speak positively about Things that God loves. God loves marriage. Marriage is meant to be a picture of how, how Jesus loves the church. And he does. Jesus loves the church so much that he gave his life for it. Jesus loves the church. And, and marriage is ultimately supposed to be a picture of, of how God loves his church. And we need to have that speak positively. I think this one we can all struggle with. Speaking positively about children. What are you laughing for? Children are a blessing from the Lord. They are. They're a blessing. And speaking positively. When you go, get around, you go to work, and instead of, ah, stinking kids, you know, they just, man, they may have done this, but I love them to death. 
They're a wonderful addition to my life. I'm not lying. She's t- you see my mother-in-law? She's, t- I'm, she's talking to my son. I have to find out what was going on. Speaking positively about your work. Somebody starts griping to you at work. It's great to have a job, though, isn't it? It's good to have a job. It's great to have a job. Get to go to work. I mean, work is something. You know, work was brought into this world before sin was. Work is a good thing. We, we were created to be working people. You know that? Speak positive. It's good. It's good. And if you really give yourself to work, man, it's so good to be a good, hard worker. Speak positively about church. Some of you have people that you know, you go, oh, I'd love it if they would come to church. But every time you talk to them, you got a bunch of negative stuff to say. You gotta, if you want somebody to you got to speak positive. It's great. I love it. If you do, I mean, you should. Jesus loves church. You want to be like Christ? Love church? You should tell me, it's great. We heard this thing. You know, pastor said this, or this song was great. I mean, I was having a hard day, and I came, and it was, I felt like God really met me there. And say those kinds of things to people. It was a wonderful day at church. I love going to church. This is one of the highlights of my week. I love going to the nursing home. Who else here that loves going to the nursing home? Huge, huge blessing. Uh, you they interrupt me up one wall and down another when I try to talk to them. But, man, it is so good. They're so excited that we're there, and they're happy. They're loving every second. And it, it, you walk over to one of them, put your arm around them. Man, I'm, I love you guys, and I'm glad to see you. Oh, man, they're, they're just happy. It, it, I love it when you, when you see one that's, that's really down, and, and you come over. And just putting your hand on their shoulder or something. Just having that, that human contact and loving those people. And so we need to have this view. Move it to the second level. But let's move up a little bit further. Number three, view every conversation as an opportunity to share the grace of God. Notice Paul says that it may give grace to those who hear. I'm going to borrow from another commentary. Uh, Bart Coppin says this. He says, The Christian is an ambassador at all times of the faith which he has professed. All conversation provides an opportunity of imparting grace to people who might stand desperately in need of it. And for the child of God to waste the vast majority of all such occasions through idle, frivolous, empty, meaningless conversation, he says, is a standing tragedy on earth. The Christian should never lose sight of the sad fact of a world lost in sin, without the Lord, needing some word, some ray of light, some word of grace that will point to the Lamb of God that takes away sin. Let's call this the third level of gospel sharing. Not just not pointing them away from Jesus, not just pointing them towards Jesus, but let's put it this way. Uh, as Paul said in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6.1, working with God as an ambassador. We need to view our words as, we're, we're an ambassador. We're here on God's behalf to, to point people to Jesus Christ. And we, we need to not shirk our responsibility, our, our opportunity to realize. I, I, I'm, and, and what I like about this, what I love about this, is that when you, you, see, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know what one thing you might say might be the thing that turns that person's heart to Jesus Christ. You don't know. It means that any, any given moment, as an ambassador working with God, the thing I say, God might use that as a seed. It's up to him. He does it. You might say, it might just be a seed. might not go anywhere. You may never see the results. You might say something might be water. Somebody else had planted a seed and you're watering it. You might be the, the, the last, you know, peg in the thing, right? You, okay, this is the one thing I said, and... That was the thing. The person, they'd been, some seed had been planted. It had been watered through this person, this person, this person, this person. And it's about ready to burst through the ground. And you say this one thing, and you don't even know it means anything to this person. But you, you take that extra step of not just pointing them towards Jesus, but trying to impart some measure of God's grace on them. And, and out of your mouth comes a statement. And God takes, with his powerful spirit, he grabs that phrase. And he doesn't just deliver it to the eardrum and make the eardrum vibrate. He takes it past that and he delivers it right into that person's soul. And it pierces. And you have no idea because you're just sitting there, oh, you know, God is so good, isn't he? And that was the one thing. 
That's right. And God took it. And he delivered it right to the heart. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't it be great to be a part of something like that? Of all the things you could do in this world, what's, what's better than that? Not much. That, you, that God could use your words and he could take them and, and, and sharpen them and bring them into someone's heart. Right into the depths of that. And right at that moment, that God could spark that faith in that person's heart. And he used you. That's exciting. That's amazing. And he can do it. It's not up to us, ultimately, is it? We're just, it's God's, we're just working with him. He really does everything. I don't even know why I say working with him, but he, he, gets to, he adds us into the process. He's like, yeah, you're working with me on this one. You don't know what step it is, but I, I'm going to, man, I'm going to deliver the one thing. And change that heart. And that's exciting. Let me real quick say a few words here about this. Number one, talk, talk about hope. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning. There's hope for your marriage. There's hope for this difficulty you're facing. There's hope for this town, Danville. There's hope for this town. I think God could come into this town and bring about change and hope and good things. There's hope for this county. There's hope for this school or for this kid. There's hope. We need to speak hopefully in all situations. It's a wonderful way. God can do anything. There's nothing that's too hard for God. Don't speak about hopelessness. When you got a buddy comes up to you and they start telling you, oh, you know, you know this fellow over here, yeah, I remember him. Oh, man, you know he's going through divorce. Oh, man, I didn't know that. You know, don't start griping about how bad divorce is in America. If you've been through a divorce, don't start saying, you know, sharing all the negative things that happened to you in your divorce. Instead, you can turn it completely different. You say, man, that's got to be tough. Man, I know that's difficult. That's challenging. Can I have that guy's name? I'd like to pray for them. Because God can do anything. Absolutely. See, do you see what, see what you can do in those moments? Instead of corrupting... See, you're, you could corrupt it and make it even worse. Instead of that, you're going you're to build it up, and then you're ultimately going to point them towards Jesus Christ, the ultimate hope on this planet. Talk about joy. I mean, if you want somebody to realize that the greatest joy can be found in Jesus Christ, if you really believe that, you should be a joyful person. You can't, you can't try to tell somebody that there's joy in Jesus Christ and you're a sourpuss all the time. Walking around, you know, I don't like this, don't like it. You know, if you've got the greatest thing in the universe, you can't be grumpy all the time. It doesn't work that way. Nobody's going to believe you. Mad all the time. You know, Jesus is the greatest thing. <laughs> really, I couldn't tell. I'm looking at you. Talk about joy. Talk about the gospel itself. Remind yourself before you talk to people that you are not going to heaven because you're a good person. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And it's by the grace of God that you're ever going to step foot in, in that kingdom. It's not because you were better than anybody. Is it? But you start walking through your day thinking about the gospel, that it's just... My only hope is Jesus. That's it. That's the only, my only hope. That's the one little... I'm banking everything on the fact that God is gracious and that Jesus Christ's life is going to be imparted to me. And so that when God sees me someday, he's going to not see my sinful life. That's been put on Jesus. He's going to look at me and he's going to see Jesus in the righteous life that he lived. And then, you know what you need to do? Take the next step and say it. You know? Somebody said something about church. Man, I, I'm, I'm the biggest sinner I know. I'm just glad that God is gracious. Did you know that Jesus, you know, a lot of people don't know that. Did you? Just bring it up. Did you know that Jesus, you know, you know how that, well, the gospel, you probably heard that. You know what that's all about? That's about the fact that what, what God did is, is, is see Jesus live this righteous life. And then he takes his righteous life and he's going to give it to me, to me so that I, it's a whole life from birth to death. And he's going to take my sinless, sinful life. And Jesus takes that upon himself and he suffered the wrath of God. God poured out his wrath on Christ at the cross. And so that when I get to I'll stand before God one day and, and he'll look at me and he'll see Jesus. Righteous life. Sinless. A lot of people don't know that. That's what, that, that, that's, what that's all. God, God is a forgiving God, but it's, he, it says that he's, he's also, he can't let the guilty go unpunished. 
the way God is able to forgive is not just because he's just this really nice grandpa that says, ah, don't worry about it. You know what he's doing? He's saying, sin, I'm a just judge, and just judges don't let people go free that have committed a crime. And the crime that we've all committed is to shirk the reality that God is our king and to be obedient to him. It's not about the, the size of the crime we committed. It's about the fact that this great lawgiver that we have. And we've, we've shirked him. We've, I don't have to obey you. It's treason. High treason. Death penalty is deserved. And so our, our only hope is if somebody could take care of that for us. And that's what Jesus Christ does. So talk about the gospel. Let me give you the last point very quickly. Number four. View every... Oh, I went too fast. View every conversation as important to God. Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Notice that Paul connects what our speech is like in a very personal way. And let me just say exactly what this means. You're not like, well, what does that mean? Let me just tell you. What Paul's saying is this. There's something unique about how you speak and talk that if you're speaking in a corruptive way and you're not trying to uh, be building up and edifying other people, that the Spirit of God is personally sorrowful over how you talk. Have you ever had somebody say something to you that was hurtful and it sticks with you, it stings? Have you ever had that happen? And they said something, maybe they didn't even mean it when they said this thing. And man, it doesn't matter how much they say, oh, I didn't mean that. Man, it, it hurt, it stuck with you. How much more so the Spirit of God as He's with you all of the time and sees the things you say. I mean, the Spirit of God has is, is been sent into the world to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. The, the, the page that the Spirit is on is to, to bring more people to Jesus. And, and part of that process is, is to fill Christ's followers and to use our mouths. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people that have been saved because they opened up a Bible and they started reading. But most people, uh, St. Augustine was walking down the street and he heard a mother tell the, her son, said, stay with the word. Stick with the word. Listen to the word. Hold on to the word. And she was telling him this to keep to his studies. But he's walking. Mm. That got him. That was a thing for Augustine. See, we don't know what thing we might say that might turn that person. And so every word that comes out of our mouth, this is what the Spirit is attempting to do with us as His followers, and every word that comes out of our mouth needs to be this way. And when we don't, when we tear people down, we're grieving the Spirit of God. You don't know what thing you might say. I want to close with uh, this thought again with this man. You know, it's so important to understand this deep reality. I couldn't tell you right now exactly what God means by saying, His blood will be on your hands. I couldn't tell you what theologically that's talking about. I think what God is simply saying is that there's a responsibility as an ambassador, as a watchman, that when you know God's coming, you know He's going to come back someday. That we've got this warning from him. He's coming. Your hope is Jesus. That if we are not sharing that and saying that, that we are shirking our responsibility. And we're like that watchman that just sees the enemy and takes off running. How many others could I line up in my own life? But what we need to do is to turn this around and say, All right, Lord, from this day forward, I don't want to have another person... That if you give me that opportunity, I'm going to take every opportunity. And maybe you can only get through that first level at first, and, and you, you at least you're not pointing them away from Jesus. But you're taking it that next step, and you're pointing them towards Jesus. Begin to build up in, in, in this positive kind of way. But then taking that next step, and every opportunity, looking at every single opportunity, that every conversation is important to God. Every single conversation, every word that comes out of your mouth matters to God. And you will say today, no more. No more will the words that come out of my mouth be a grief to the Spirit of God. No more do I want to be a person that's bringing grief and sorrow to the Spirit of God. I want to make sure every word matters.
and I use them properly. They're well-timed. They're ready to build up and point people to the grace of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you. I praise you, God, first of all, because I know that not every word that's come out of my mouth has been good for building people up. Lord, so I want to begin by praising you that you are the God of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Lord, I praise you for that. I know that if we were looking at this passage today and we're saying, okay, you've got to do this or you're not going to heaven, Lord, there wouldn't be a one of us that would have a hope of making it. So, Lord, I praise you for Jesus, that he came and he lived that righteous life. And every word that came out of his mouth was good and built up and pointed towards that ultimate good that is found in God and his grace. Lord, I ask that today that you would help every one of us in this room to grab a hold of this idea that every word that comes out of our mouths would, would, would be good, would build up, would, would edify those around us. And ultimately that, Lord, we would see every conversation as an opportunity. Lord, that you'd help us to be thinking while we're speaking, or praying while we're speaking. Lord, help me to know what to say right now. What's the thing I could say to help this person? Lord, help us to have that mindset. God, we believe that you'll answer that and point us in the right direction. Father, we commit this week to you. Lord, we're going to mess up. We pray for your grace in our lives to to get right back up when we've messed up, to apologize when we need to apologize, when we tear somebody down to, to say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. It was wrong. Lord, help us to do that and then to begin to speak the words of God creative, powerful words to build up. And all of these things we pray, Lord, not because we deserve an answer to this prayer, Lord, but simply because you are a gracious God. And because of Jesus Christ, we have the ability to pray to you today. And so in his name I pray. Amen.